Hello there, and welcome to the Popcorn Tennis Podcast. Uh, I'm here with our usual hosts. Um, Jethro is back, and Shahiri is here as always. Can't do this podcast without him. And I'm Nick, uh, and we're all here to talk about the 2023 Australian Open, uh, men's and women's draw. Um, and we're all going to talk about sort of what we think are main stories of the tournament that caught our eye and um, how the tournament sets up the rest of the 2023 season. Um, I think uh, we'll may as well start with the sort of the big headline, which is uh, Novak Djokovic winning the his 10th Australian Open title, his 22nd Grand Slam title, um, and returning to world number one, which he probably deserves. Um, Shahiri, as our resident Novak Djokovic fan, um, what were your thoughts on Djokovic's title run? Um, well, I had him as the prime favorite, and I also was extremely confident about him winning the final. Um, you know, contrary to what a lot of uh, you know folks and TD TD felt, um, they thought, okay, you know, since he passed, actually win it. There were some question marks regarding Djokovic's hamstring throughout the tournament, pretty much, but. Uh, he was that close to winning it without dropping a set, which is something he's never done and looks like that would wait for some some more time, winning a slam without dropping a set. But he's only ever come close to doing that. Uh, the closest to doing that at the Australian Open, you know, 2008, 2011, and this year, you know, 2011, he only dropped that set in the final against Songa. Uh, Sorry, 2008. In 2011, he dropped that one set to Ivan Dodig. I think it was the second round. It was the second set tiebreaker. Uh, yeah, but regardless, uh, you know, it's it's not done until it's said and done, right? That Novak Djokovic is the Australian Open champion. So once that did happen, it was a pretty stern final, uh, even though it was straight sets, two of those sets being tiebreakers. It was just amazing. You know, the scenes were... Uh, blissful, I should say, as a Novak fan, especially considering what happened last year in Australia. Really tough moments for Novak, his family, uh, you know, also his fans, including myself. Um, you know, a lot of uh, arguments with people regarding uh, his decision to not get vaccinated or some of his mishaps. But, you know, all of that is in the past now and, you know, he's back here to winning ways and just lift his 10th title and especially those scenes uh, of him going to his box and just breaking down into tears. I've never seen Djokovic like that ever, let alone after a grandstand final. So it was really nice to see for me because, I mean, sure, everybody's different. We've seen Federer and Nadal get really emotional once they win a grandstand. I, you know, sometimes when I do see them win slams, I would always hope for Novak to have such you know, magical, memorable scenes. And I guess we got it here. And, you know, the outpour of uh, congratulatory messages and admiration that, you know, he's received not only from his peers, his biggest rivals and, you know, stars from uh, across various sports. It was just amazing to see and, you know, just meant that much to him. And, of course, it means a lot to his fans as well. So... Uh, Djokovic is back in business from where he left off in 2021. Um, if, uh, you know, what we've seen so far is anything to go by, if he is uh, finally allowed into the U.S. by the time the U.S. Open uh, comes around, then I think we're looking at another year where he is in contention for the calendar year slam. You know, whether or not he does it, that remains the bigger, big, biggest question. But I think, he, you know, he's back to being the... Uh, red hot player that uh, everybody fears, and uh, you know, on the ATP tour. Yeah, I'd agree with that assessment um, of, of him being the, the the main man on the ATP tour now. Uh, I think we kind of forgot about him a little bit, partly because he couldn't play two slams, and then um, only winning one of the two. Uh, that he did play in 2022. Um, although, say only, I mean, really, he was only derailed by an incredible performance by Rafael Nadal on clay, as we should really come to expect now. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think sort of the end of the season where he was, you know, he was barely using matches, 
Um, I'm not counting the Felix one at Labour Cup. That's kind of an injury. The, the amnesty of that tournament is questionable. Um, the whole Baruna loss in Paris was weird. Um, but um, yeah, I think he's barely losing tennis matches regardless. And uh, he's going to be very dangerous for the rest of the season. I expect him to be um, the heavy favourite to win the title in Dubai, which I think is the next tournament. Um, and then when he goes to Clay, um, he's going to be a factor there. Um, I think uh, when Nadal are going to be favourites wherever they play. So, uh, yeah, I agree with that assessment, I think. Uh, and it's telling something the way that Djokovic won this tournament without without um, having to play his best a lot of the time. Like, there's been incredible performances, um, but you just got a sense that no one was really able to push him um, that hard. And really the only thing that could stop him is age or injury at the minute. Um, which some people aren't going to be excited about. I think that if there's a possibility of him achieving something historic, like a calendar year Grand Slam, um, that will be an interesting enough story um, for this year um, at this moment to say, hey, we've seen it. Because let's face it, the last time we saw a, a man do it was Rod Laver, and not many tennis fans are probably old enough to remember that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. Yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a very very interesting year, um, and he's gonna go into every single slam. Hopefully, he's you know he's allowed into the US, but uh, he's gonna go into every slam. Probably probably the favorite. Um, French Open, we'll have to wait and see how Rafa's hip is and how he's recovered from his injury. But um, yeah, it's it's very exciting that we're heading into the French Open in a few months' time with both of them tied on twenty two. Uh, I don't think we're going to get a final. I mean, the dream scenario would be a final between them to decide who gets number 23. But um, I think Nadal's not going to be seeded high enough by then unless he gets loads of points at the start of the play season. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. But that is going to be very, very interesting going into that tournament. And there's a lot of good clay court players now. You know, you've got Alcaraz, you've got Rude. And, you know, he's very played really well last year. If he gets back to his best form, he could he could be a threat. Uh, sits pass is always very very good there Holger Rune it's it should be a very competitive French Open um so they've got a lot of competition you know alongside them it's one of the things we can't know yet right because we're nowhere near the clay season start we're only we're still about three months away from the clay season start we've got to get through the sunshine double first uh but uh that's and which is going to be exciting itself and uh yeah and you've raised the big question Jeffro as to what Rafa Nadal's uh, injury status is. It's yet another one on top of like back ones he seems to be suffering. Feel like age is really catching up to him now as well. You know, being 37, Roger Federer, probably his last chance of a slam was when he was 37. He nearly beat Djokovic at Wimbledon 2019. Um, so I, I do feel like the clock's running out for Rafa a little bit. Um so, but I also think it's Rafa Nadal, it's the Frank Joker, and he's always going to be a contender. So I'm excited to see how that all plays out. But uh, yeah, um, I think for for the rest of the season, it's going to be, if Djokovic plays as the favourite, if he doesn't, it's going to be um, a scramble to to win the title. I mean, um, Jethro, as a Rafa fan, um, how, are you, how are you feeling about sort of, uh, the season ahead now. Um, are you confident he's going to recover? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what to think, to be honest. It, it, it was quite concerning watching watching him during the, uh, during the Australian Open. Um, the, the injury obviously was really, really bothering him and his, he seems to have this kind of belief drilled into him to not retire at all costs. You know, he barely ever retires and I just think that's really done him a lot of harm. It did him a lot of harm to the AB last year when he didn't retire against Fritz and then he won and then he had to pull out the semi-final at Wimbledon. And yeah, I felt like the same thing was happening against McDonald and he's just kind of refusing to to give up. And it's it's doing him more harm than good because uh, he can't, he's not, his body isn't allowing him to, you know, get through these matches and then go and win the other ones. You know, he's... It's like getting through, trying to get through this match, and then it's like, oh, okay, no, I am really, really hurt. And I just, yeah, that's that's a bit worrying to me. It's kind of almost desperation at this point to keep, you know, to keep being a competitor on the tour. But 
you know, if there's one guy who knows how to recover from injury setbacks, it is Nadal. And I hope that he just takes his time off now, targets a return during the clay season, because I think his injury, you know, layoff time will expire before the clay season starts. So hopefully, I'm hoping he comes back and has a really, really good clay season, can contend for the French Open. But yeah, I just I don't really have any expectations this season for him because it's been such a disappointing start, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that's fair, uh, especially given uh, his injury. Sort of, it's it's hard to put expectations on Rafael Nadal because we don't want to put too much on him because of the injury. But at the same time, he's one of the greatest male players the game's ever seen. Um, I mean, uh, Shrihari, um, do you hope that Nadal can come back healthy? I know you said you're a Djokovic fan, um, but uh, in the, at least in the interests of uh, exciting for tennis, um, it would be better to have Nadal back, right? Especially as, you know, he's coming to Dubai at some point. Hopefully. Yes, of course. I mean, uh, regardless of who your allegiance is with you would always you'd never hope for um injuries or any sort of harm of any pair right um so yeah i personally um you know for both uh the interest uh or you know the best for tennis and you know for the best of uh someone as uh someone who's as great as rafael nadal we obviously want him around for as much as uh possible uh, you know, he's had a career riddled with injuries, no doubt about that. But um, each time he's somehow managed to pull some rabbit out of the hat and, you know, make amazing comebacks. So I just hope this is one of those times where, you know, this is just some sort of setback. Yes, tennis-wise too, when he's been pretty healthy, it's not looked great for him ever since Wimbledon. I think that's sort of the last of, uh, you know, Rafael Nadal at uh, you know playing some of his uh, some of his best tennis or close to his best tennis uh, you know even Wimbledon I think his run was quite ugly for most of it um, he got to the semis which is great um, and he had to you know pull out of the semis and he was back in Cincinnati I think he won just uh, he's won just two matches since uh, Cincinnati till now which is not a good sign and you know I just Hope it's something that sort of fades away as we enter the play season because that's a surface he's really comfortable on. You know, it can be argued that, okay, at this age, um, he wouldn't really prefer a surface that's so physical. But, I mean, stats and numbers show completely otherwise the way he shows up year after year at RG. Last year, he showed up, you know, to the tournament without having won even a single clay court title. That's never happened in an entire season uh, since, I don't know, 2004 um or yeah since ever because he the first time he played rg he did win the title uh so yeah obviously you know i i do want him to be back and especially since um you know i'll be watching um the dubai open and you know he signed up for the tournament i do want to watch him live as well um aside from that in general yes you do want um this rivalry that he has with novak Djokovic to last as long as you know it can especially heading into RG where they could have a potential shootout for who takes Grand Slam title number 23. We would love to see that. Um, you know, we've obviously gotten a lot of meetings at RG between these two, but at the same time, you know, considering what's at stake, we've never had both of the players competing at the same slam with the same number of Grand Slams. When Novak got to 20 uh, and match Federer Nadal, and he went into the US Open in 2021. Nadal wasn't there. Um, Australian Open last year, Nadal was there. Djokovic wasn't, and of course, Nadal went on to win that title. So, uh, this is something really unique. Uh, we've not seen, uh, really not seen it before. I don't even think, I mean, okay, apart from RG21, where you had Federer and Nadal competing with 20 stands. Federer wasn't really in, uh, looked at as a contender, not even close uh, for that tournament, but. This is definitely something unique uh, as far as men's tennis is concerned, not something we have seen in a very long time and not something we will see for quite some time either. Um, you know, this sort of tiebreaker as to who takes uh, the number ones, uh, uh, who takes the lead in the Grand Slam, Grand Slam style race. So, yes, I definitely do want to see Nadal back. I just hope he takes it easy maybe for these next one or two tournaments and 
you know, should be back uh, fully fit and firing for the play season. At least that's what I hope. And I definitely don't think uh, this is the end of him um, at all. He definitely has at least another couple of Roland Garros titles in him before he uh, uh, very visibly or very concerningly starts to, uh, you know, decline in a way that you don't really see any uh, comeback in him. Oh, yeah. No, hopefully we've got another couple of years of Rafa Nadal. I mean, um, he definitely can do, I think, with modern sports science, physiotherapy. He can definitely extend his career a bit. He's also got an opportunity for maybe a second Olympic gold medal. Um, oh, well, third if you include his doubles title um, at, uh, at um, 2024, because that will be at Roland Garros. Um, so obviously big opportunity for him. Um, what I would... I think just a couple of things off the back of that. I mean, I, I am massively pumped for the idea of uh, a, a showdown for 23 at Roland Garros, especially since I genuinely couldn't call that one because, again, depends on form near the time. You've got Novak Djokovic is the only one who can really challenge even a healthy Nadal at Roland Garros, um, just for historically. And then you've got Nadal... Um, kind of having to challenge a dominant Novak Djokovic. Um, so um, that's trying to work out where that one would go um, would be incredibly interesting, especially since we we thought maybe Nadal might not be able to get past him last time they played, which was last year. And then Nadal um, really um, won every set where Djokovic wasn't redlining. Um, just another on your stat, um, Shrihiri, um, I think actually Nadal's won five matches from if you start counting from Cincinnati when he came back because I think he lost his opening match to Charlotte Cincinnati fourth round of US Open so he would have won three matches to get there then beat Casper Rude at the finals and then he beat Jack Draper in Australia so I think he's won five matches which is yes, still my bad. I meant to say since uh, the conclusion of US Open uh, yes he yeah. did get the fourth round um, and lost to Tiafo and I think that match was really telling you could have put um, his loss to Chorich as, as a one-off and Chorich tends to match up pretty well against Nadal uh, that was his third win of course and the third win in six meetings which is a pretty good record to have against Nadal um, but yeah I think the way Tiafu I've never seen especially I wouldn't have imagined the way uh, Nadal was playing and the way he was um, winning matches last year that he would be just completely blown off the court in a best of five match this is a guy who was, you know, pretty much close to the brink of defeat. Um, in the Australian Open final, there was the win predictor showing 96% for Medvedev and 4% for Nadal. And Medvedev had those three break points, you know, to go up 4-2 in the third. And, you know, he's just two service holes away from, uh, you know, lifting a second grandstand title. And from there, uh, in a really physical battle as well. And at that age, Nadal pulled that off. So I think... That's the one match people will be looking at for a very long time before people eventually completely write him off. And I, I just don't see the end anywhere near for him at this moment. Um, yes, you know, it was uh, not good scenes, what we saw at Australia, losing that way uh, to McDonald. And I just think he should, you know, I agree with Jeff, which I probably should have just quietly walked away. Um, you know, it took that long time out, I think, the second set. I think you should have just, you know, called it a day because um, it's not worth uh, risking your injury further because it really did look like, uh, you know, mountain and a half on a down to climb uh, from two sets to lockdown and that kind of a scenario. He's not even uh, close to 100% fit. But other than that, yes, you know, like I said, clay is a surface where generally most comfortable on. Last year was that off year where he had the foot issue, I think. Um, and also close to the conclusion of his RG semi-final in 21 against Djokovic. Um, you know, it must be said that I think Nadal's level overall was higher in 21 compared to uh, 2022. It obviously, uh, Nadal, it, when it mattered, he turned it up against Djokovic. And, you know, you just Novak also not really playing uh, as well as he, he would have liked, as well as he did the year before. So, yes, I do agree with you when you say that Djokovic still remains uh, uh, to be the one man who can challenge um, 
the doll at RG. So yes, I think uh, you know he should be back for the gray season. And let's see how you know how it goes from Monte Carlo onwards. Yeah, so very interesting things to come. And so now I think probably best to move on to Arena Sabalenka's incredible tournament win. Um, that's been coming for some time. Uh, quite an amazing story, given where she was last year, averaging, you know, well into double figures, double faults every single match, to going into, what, four or five, on average, double faults every match this this tournament. Still that's yet to lose a match this season, and her level is absolutely phenomenal right now. And she came up against a red-hot Alina Rybakina in the final and took her down in the third set, and it was... It was just amazing. And I think a lot of people kind of all had this consensus on, at least on social media, that it was one of the most deserving Grand Slam titles that we've seen for a long time because she's had the game for so long and people have had all these high expectations of her and she's put it all together in quite a short amount of time. And yeah, I mean, the level that she showed was amazing. And, you know, we've gone from kind of thinking, oh, who's going to be? or who's going to rival Iga Swiatek on WCA Tour. And now we've got Rebecca and Sabalenka right there to challenge her, at least off clay for now. You never know how they'll do on clay as well. But yeah, it was um, it was a very fascinating uh, tournament from the women's side. I know uh, Nick really, really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always enjoy um, the, the WTA side of things, especially how competitive it is. I mean... Um, I was commentating on that final for Talking Tennis, and um, it was a it was a roller coaster. I like I went into that thinking Rebecca was going to win it. Um, I thought that she her experience and mentality would come through it. I thought she was she only dropped a set to Danielle Collins, who was a tricky opponent, um, and um, I just thought her temperament would be better overall. And game styles are very similar. Um, and I just worried Sabalenka would maybe crumble under the pressure because um, I just had that idea about her, maybe wrongly, definitely wrongly in retrospect. Um, and I think what's interesting is that, like I think I said afterwards, like I I wasn't really 100% sure. Sab- I, I was thought Sabalenka might finish her career as someone who was uh, who, who wouldn't actually win a Grand Slam title despite her talent, her obvious talent. Uh, and... Um, I'm glad to be proven wrong um, on that point. Um, I think her high risk, high reward game can backfire, um, but she's certainly um, uh, she's certainly improved um, what she needs to do to make it work well. Um, and um, there's an interview that uh, uh, on the line did with um, uh, someone who went through some uh, biomechanics um, training with her. Uh, to to improve her service motion that she was struggling with in 2022. Uh, so yeah, I'm super pleased for her. She's um, uh, and that final, um, I honestly think Sabalenka took it because Rebecca was in control, and Sabalenka really kind of broke in and said, "No, I'm not." I and genuinely fought her way back into that match and took control. And I think definitely was a threat to break Rebecca's service game pretty much every time served. So um, it was a it was a good final. It was a competitive final. Um, there was definitely some tension up until the end. Um, but yeah, if you're a big fan of um, big hitting tennis, um, it was definitely uh, a final to to enjoy and to watch. Um, how that sets up the rest of the season, uh, it, it's certainly it's certainly intriguing. It adds to the potential contenders list, especially at Wimbledon um, going forward. Um, Sabalenka and Rebecca have to be two of the favourites for that title. Um, I agree with you, Jethro, on clay. I don't see many people challenging Shviontek unless she has an off day. Um, and I'm, we'll come back to her probably in a bit. But uh, I think Sabalenka deserves um, the limelight. I mean, uh, Shahiri, did you watch the final? What do you think of Sabalenka's kind of performance in this tournament? It was pretty impressive overall, I think. Yes, I did watch that final. Um... You know, Rybakina, I think, you know, she's usually the kind of player who barely shows any nerves. You know, high school on the most important points that we saw in the Wimbledon final as well. 
I believe she was serving two all up 40 in that third set. Uh, very much like Sophia Kennett in that Australian Open final two years ago against Muguruza. And then she holds that service game and goes on to win the match without dropping another game. Um, so, yeah, and as far as Barkina is concerned, just, you know, small shout out before I, you know, move on to Sabalenka and talk about how happy and impressed I am uh, with and for her. Um, yeah, Rybakina won Wimbledon. Um, she, then she didn't get any, uh, obviously didn't ain't gain any points, uh, hasn't really uh, gained too, too much uh, adulation either, and unfairly so. Uh, yes, you know, she did have some letdowns after that, some early exits and whatnot, but that's not really a surprise. It's happened to a lot of players who have just won grants. It's happened to Carlos Alcaraz, um, you know, as well last year on the men's, if you talk about the men's tour, because people love to say, oh, you know, it never happens on the ATP, but it has definitely happened. Um, you know, she never got her due credit, due respect. And, you know, she beat three really good opponents, Daniel Collins, Iga Shantek and Ostapenko. And it was pretty clinical for most part, except, I mean, sure, you know, she did drop a set to Collins and she was down 3-11 in the second, I think, against Shantek, but... Uh, you know, those are clinical performances and especially one, the one against Azarenka, you know, she showed just how professional she can be and she has a really good game as well. Um, and yeah, you know, the first set and you know, early in the second set looked like, you know, she probably, it would have been one of those performances for Rebecca, you know, but, you know, Sabalenka just proved yet again, you know, how uh, mentally tough she's become off late. Um, we've seen that before, not something we've not seen, especially in that Madrid final against Ash Party. I think she held it pretty well, um, you know, dropped the second set after Bagling on the first. So it did kind of remind me of that when she served for the match uh, then. But then, you know, like Jethro mentioned, it's been such a long time coming for Sabalenka because she's done so well at the big events on the WTA tour, but that's just never translated for her at slams. And you know the first time she did make the semi-final at a grand stamp, she went on to make a couple more, lost all three of them, six, four in the third, pretty heartbreaking loss, especially the one, um, you know, the US Open ones, especially because you would have thought that she would go on to win those two tournaments potentially, or at least the 2022 edition, um, you know, had Shuantek uh, on the ropes up to break in the third set and she loses. She also broke down the press conference beat Shiontek at the WTA finals, but loses in the final to Garcia. So it's been tough, right? It, it definitely is not easy to just keep putting up with these um, losses. And sure, you know, there's only uh, for so long can you find encouragement in making, uh, making it to the latter stages of big events. You would want to start winning them as well, at least start winning them again. So Sabalenka has been around for a really long time and it's, you know, coming together at last and she's doing all the right things and her performance is amazing she was um she was it was controlled aggression i would say um she was definitely amazing off the ground a lot better than Bakina was um dominated a lot of those guys especially in the third set she had a lot of chances and finally took one uh that service game also the way she held um held her composure double faulting a championship point and facing break point she came out of that you know amazingly and she she completely deserves the spoils and you know um, I think there's not one person who's not happy with that kind of outcome um, you know in the final I'm happy for uh, Sabalenka so yeah I'm definitely happy for her and you know this is again uh, making the landscape of women's tennis a lot more interesting because there were a lot of questions since Ashbody's retirement last year about who will fill in that void but you know I think that question. It's about time we chuck that out of the window because we have enough players right now in the mix uh, to have some, you know, amazing tournaments back to back, especially at the Grand Stamps. Yeah, and you know, we, we mentioned the the Sabalenka serve, and yeah, Nick mentioned our, our friend Jack on the line who who interviewed the guy who fixed the serve, called Gavin McMillan. And one of the things I found really interesting listening to him talk was that he said that. Everyone was saying that it was Sabalenka, it was her mental state, you know, when she was serving, it was the kind of like getting nervous and double faulting. And he spotted it straight away that it was her action. It wasn't feeling the pressure, it wasn't nerves. It was just because she just hadn't been taught how to serve properly and consistently. 
and the result, I mean, the results have been amazing. And you know, I was watching her serve, serving out that final game, and she was missing her first serve, and she's just actually smacking down a second serve, and you know, like making making them as well. And she's clearly, and you know, she's going to be so confident now that she's won a slam. And I think she's going to be. It's going to be very interesting to see where she goes from here. So I I think the only way is up because can't really doubt her mental performance anymore. Like she might get tight, you know, all players get tight at some point, but with a with a fixed serve and the ground strokes looking so so good, it's um it's going to be very interesting to see, uh, you know, what what she can go on to achieve next because I you know she's definitely not going to be slowing down anytime soon. It's what makes um, women's tennis so exciting because I think we'll have a few title contenders going forward um, for the big events if they're all playing. Um, possibly more in the queue at some point as well. You've got Sabalenka, who, you know, I can see why you think the only way is up. Jethro, I'm just wondering whether. So let's see what competition she gets. I mean, Elena Rabakina, I think one of the big takeaways from. The Australian Open was do not underestimate Elena Rabakina. I thought she might end up being a one-off slam champion. Um, but part, and I think partly because her results after Wimbledon weren't amazing. I think that was down to, partly down to some tough draws. But um, this Australian Open, she showed that she can play with and beat the rest of the world. And she was very much in that final right until the end. Um, there was a scenario where she could have turned that around. Um, I think she'll be a contender again. Um, I, I certainly won't want to rule her out again. Um, Iga Sviontek, um, honestly, I don't think she's going away either. I think she's got enough wins against Sabalenka that um, she'd be confident that she can win any fight they have. It'll be close. Um, on clay, she'll have an advantage. Anywhere else could be more interesting. But also, if we look at, and if Sabalenka can improve her serve, so could Sviontek. Um, kind of a similar way to the win that like Djokovic has um, in the last um, sort of 10, 12 years. Um, so I think Sviontek's not not going to be going away. I think she's going to be um, still setting the bar for a while. Um, Caroline Garcia is going to stay in the mix. I know she's she kind of uh, a bit of an off, mid-off day in the fourth round um, uh, against Magdalene Nett. Um, overall, I thought I think she she you can never count her out. And um, her top level is incredible. So we've definitely got these four four women on Jabir, She's fit and healthy, particularly on grass. Isn't is going to be someone who's going to be a contender. I think even before we get to um, sort of the younger players coming through, the teenagers or those who are just turning twenty. But um, I think we need to wait for them to sort of mature a little bit before we kind of put them in that in that same category. But 23, 23 WTA tour could be uh, very much about a, uh, a big four or a big five um, players, which uh, makes it very intriguingly poised uh, for me anyway. So um, definitely worth watching, especially if you're not a fan of um, one player dominance, which it looks like it's going to be on the uh, ATP tour. Yeah, no, the uh, the competition is is definitely rising. Um, and yeah, we, we mentioned on very you know very briefly there, and you know, she wasn't wasn't fit, you know, going into into uh, the Australian Open, and it it kind of feels like she might be being slightly forgotten about with regards to Slam contenders, and that's just on you know, and, that, and she's made two Grand Slam finals last year. Um, so it's, I mean, and that's how quickly things can move. But you know, we know that she's got an amazing level, and hopefully, she's you know back to full fitness soon and competing for the big titles. Because I mean, the standard in the top ten I mean, is amazing, and there's a yeah, there's there's a lot of exciting things to come across all surfaces this year. I think yeah, we she wants it will probably dominate clay, but she still needs to have an amazing clay season after what she had last year to kind of keep going as the number one in the world. I think. She's going to have a lot of competition at the uh, the Sunshine Double this year, which is you know obviously the next kind of the next thing after Dubai. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be very very intriguing how that all pans out. But and the, and you mentioned the teenagers. I mean there are I mean Nia Coca Goff's doing really well. Linda Noskova, who didn't even play in Australia because of this, she unfortunately won her title at the worst possible time, and um, because that meant that. 
she was ranked really, really high, but she didn't make it into the Australian Open major one. She, you know, she lost in qualifying. Um, but yeah, she's just beating Gabby and Muguruza actually. But yeah, so there's there's a lot of young talent as well to be excited about. And um, but yeah, I think is the whole tour in general is just in a really, really good place right now. I agree, and I didn't mention this. Uh, you know, obviously, I think goes without saying, but Sabalenka is pretty much averaging like fifteen or sixteen double faults per match uh, at this point last year. He was really even in tears after a couple of those losses, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So, you know, from there uh, to here, having won Adelaide and won the Australian Open, you know, it's just really great to see. And obviously, I'm making this comparison purely tennis-wise, but uh, it's a bit like Zverev, I want to say, her arc, when Zverev was doing really well at the big events on the ATP Tour, but would always go out early at the slams. It'll be a huge disappointment even if he does make it, barely make it to the second round. Um, and Sabalenka was like that for a, for some time until I would say the 21 Wimbledon, uh, 2021 Wimbledon. And since then, obviously, she's been really good. Uh, had those three semifinal uh, runs, but, you know, heartbreaking losses, like we mentioned. So, Finally, she, I think it feels like she's broken those floodgates. And when she's playing uh, at a very high level, it's, it takes very little stopping, to be honest. Um, and yes, this could be said about a lot of players, but I think Sabalenka is someone who's not only just talented, but she also puts in the hours as well. And barring any injury layoff, I think she, you know, she should be, she's back to world number two now and uh, rightfully so, which makes it really interesting. With you know the boatload of points that Higa Sriantek has to defend, um, I should say all the way until the U.S. Open, it would be very interesting to see if Sabalenka does make her number one debut, which I mean it could be very much possible. Um, and you know Ons Jabur as well has um, a lot of points to defend. I think the U.S. Open final and Madrid title final in Rome. So yeah, you know I I don't think Sabalenka is all that much, if I'm not mistaken, to defend. So. Who knows, right? This might just be her season. I mean, let's face it, um, Australia uh, traditionally um, uh, is a is a good sign of, well, actually I was going to say, is Australia traditionally a good sign of things? I think that's probably more of a, a warning. If you look at previous champions, I think Ash Barty last year, bit of an odd case because that was her last tournament she retired. Um, year before that was Naomi Osaka. Again, interesting case given what we know about Naomi Osaka and um, I think struggles with motivation kind of coming on and off. Um, Sophia Kennan in 2020, um, I think the pandemic interfered a lot, but given she also reached the Roland Garros final that year, I think she was set up pretty well um, uh, for that season. Um, just going back in my head. Yeah, I think I've reported that it's like Australia. I, let, let's not jump too far ahead. Yes, it'd be nice to see Sabalenka kick off and have a great season. And um, there's all the evidence that she can do that. Um, but um, I think we'd have to get through the, the Sunshine Double before we really see um, whether she can maintain that momentum um, after Australia. It's a long way until until the next slam. But I fully believe that she can do it. Um, so... Um, not a uh, so yeah I think that's that's going to be interesting I'm so sorry I'm going to have to cut this bit out because I got distracted um, yeah so I think the I think the women's season is going to be uh, pretty interesting um, I mean Jethro was there anything else from the uh, the women's side of the draw any kind of stories that caught your eye other than the the finalists and the top seed um, there were, I mean, I there were some really enjoyed matches. I, I enjoyed um, Maria Sakari against uh, Zhu Lin, uh, who I actually watched this morning in, uh, in the, uh, Thailand. I think it was in Thailand. And I really enjoyed Zhu Lin's breakout, to be honest. And I thought she played a really, really fun match against Azarenka in the fourth round. And I think, you know, she's like 28, I think. And she's kind of just burst into life and is showing a really, really great level. And and there was a lot of 
there's a lot of that, you know, Magda Lynette, you know, I think she's about 30 and, you know, she had an amazing run, uh, kind of, you know, carried carried Polish tennis on her on her shoulders after her catch and Swiatek, you know, went went out of the tournament. Uh Donna Vekic, another great run. Our friend uh, our friend Vance calling that one very, very, very well. Very good prediction that was. And yeah, and there was just, there was a lot of fun runs there. And yeah, I think I think the most disappointing thing for me in the women's draw was probably Garcia going out early because I had her on to reach the final. But you know, she she lost to an inspired Magdalene. She had a bad day, and um, but we saw so many amazing performances and so many great matches. I think you know it all it all worked out really really well. You should probably also uh, mention Victoria Azarenka. She had an amazing run herself. Um, beating, I think, uh, two top 10 seeds. It was Madison Keys and Jessica Pegula, one of the favorites going into the tournament. Um, and yeah, I think uh, making the semifinal again for the first time in 10 years. And, you know, she was the last uh, women's player to defend the Australian Open title. She had a good run herself, was just uh, outmatched and outplayed by uh, a much better player on the day, Elena Rybakina, in the semi-final. And now she's, I think, back to the top 15, top 16, which should help her to some extent. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think she would be back uh, to the business end of slams since that, uh, I would say, the US Open loss in 2020. I think there was a huge chance for her, having lost uh, two US Open finals back-to-back. Heartbreaking ones too, especially 2012, you know, serving for the championship, losing it from there. Something similar in 2020 finally gets past Serena, the player who beat her in two consecutive finals. 6-1-2 love against Osaka and loses in the exact same way Serena lost to her. So I would hope at least that, uh, you know, I don't know how much uh, of great tennis she has in her at this age and at this stage, you know, especially considering uh, the depth the WTA tour has, especially with the younger players, but she's she's shown in this run and in you know previous other runs that she can definitely take them on. Um, before Shriantek won her first slam, if I'm not mistaken, Azarenka did beat Shriantek at the US Open. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, you know that obviously Shriantek is a much better player now, much more developed in every way, shape, possible in every way and shape possible but you know she's shown that she has it in order to beat the elite and i just hope uh, you know we could have a few good runs here and there and you know who knows if the draw just opens up that much uh more uh than sometimes it does because of uh, you know mass exodus of seeds just might have a have her lifting another grand slam title again you just never know but then again i think um on the natural surfaces, I wouldn't bet on it too much at this point. Maybe Wimbledon. I don't see too much hope at RG. But yeah, uh, you know, that's something I wanted to mention. I think Azarenka definitely just deserved a shout out for her run at this year's Australian Open. Yeah, no, it was um it was really impressive and it was really great to see her playing, you know, such a high level again. And while well, we've talked about the women's finals, so I think it's only fair we now bring in uh the second best male player of the tournament, Stefano Sitsipas, who, yeah, he lost in straight sets, but, you know, he took Djokovic to two tie breaks, which, you know, you're not, you've got to be serving pretty well and playing pretty well to be doing that. Um, and to be honest, he had a really, he had a really, really impressive tournament. Um, he could very well have lost to Sinner with the way Sinner turned that around tactically and mentally. Um, and he served unbelievably well on his way to the final, I think. Either before the semis or before the finals, he was at you know forty three out forty nine break points saved, which is just extraordinary. Um, and I think he's certainly thrown him thrown his hand up in contention for the Australian Open title, probably for when probably when Djokovic retires. Um, there's going to be another scrap between all the all of his gen and the and the generation below. But um, I was I was impressed with his level in this tournament. Um, he's often pegged as a pegged as a you know play court player. And understandably so, you know, he's got two Monte Carlo titles. He's a French Open finalist. But yeah, he's um he's proven himself to be really, really good on that on, you know, in Melbourne now. And yeah, I'm I'm interested to see, you know, 
how he learns from this and you know if he can come back next year and challenge the title. I do agree. And uh, yeah, the draw may have opened up, but um starting to think that he's definitely back to his uh, mid-2021 level, or 2021 since the Australian Open until RG. Last year, I just think he was crappy throughout. He just beat in some matches. Um, and a lot of them were one ugly. But this year, he was clinical for most part until the final. He put up a pretty stern fight in the final too, even though it was a tough loss in straight sets. You know, as we mentioned, two tiebreakers, but um yeah i mean he's still number three not yet you know he that was twice in like almost as many weeks that he's come so close to the top two but he's really not that far away in the way he's going you just never know right um he could definitely enter the top two um especially since alcaraz has quite a lot of points to defend and we don't know how he will where his level will be at immediately after he's back and since he playing the tennis of his life um and he believes he did mention it um, during the or just before the Mubadala exhibition in Abu Dhabi that his goal for this season is to become world number one and win a Grand Slam title. You know he was one match away from doing both of that. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's just a matter of time. Like Djokovic said, I just don't think he said it to make him feel better. He's definitely one of those players who we always thought of as someone who could be a Grand Slam champion, world number one. Uh, yes, he's you know turning 25 this year. Uh, we always thought that you know the clock is ticking for him, and especially considering how his he had, he's had matchup issues with a lot of the top players, and especially some of the younger players, uh, guys like Felix, um, guys like Paul Garunik, Carlos Alcaraz. These guys match up really well against him, and you know it's, if they do play him at slams, they can beat him um two of them have already so you know that that's always something that um that that remains to be answered if you know he can beat these players he's shown that he can beat Medvedev beating him in the last two encounters although they were quite close um but yeah that was one matchup hurdle that he really needed to overcome and I think you know he going into his match next match against Medvedev, against Medvedev at least he will be the one who will probably uh, had the slight edge, but yeah, someone like Nadal, I think if he is still rusty, even though he's healthy, you know, in during the clay season, Steph can definitely take him to him, probably beat him. At RG, it still remains to be um, uh, seen. I'm not sure. I think there's only one man who's capable at this moment of beating Nadal at RG. Um, there's no back joke of it. So yes, we, I, I do think that Steph, um, you know, he's a player to watch out for as well. You know, we also have to mention Seb Korda, who had a great run beating uh, two top 10 players. I don't know if Lukacs was um, top 10 uh, during the tournament. Probably was. Correct if I'm wrong. He was number 10 seed. Yeah, he was. Lukacs um, is always somehow number 10 in the world. Right, yeah. Yeah, he was a number 10 seed, so probably not yeah. uh, number 10. But anyway. Yeah, I, think he was, num- I think he became number 10 first week of the Aussie Open, so he was technically top 10. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. First week. And the ceiling was already out. No, makes sense. Um, so, yes, being two top 10 players, it was a shame that he had to retire. He played Djokovic really well in the Adelaide final as well. So, Korda's uh, also another player who's getting it together. Um, he's improved his serve a lot. There's a lot more juice in the serve compared to what it has been for the last couple of years. And the one thing that's weighing him down, holding him back. Um, so, yeah, there's Sepp Korda, Holger Rune as well. Let's just not forget about him. He had that tough loss, but he's there. He's still going to be there. He's still very young. He's playing amazing tennis. Uh, he's always going to be in the equation. Just a few points away from meeting, a point away from meeting Djokovic uh, in the quarters. And that could have probably been another uh, stern contest for Novak um, considering if their Bercy final last year was anything to go by um, so yeah you know there are a lot of players right now and I think for Sitsipas that's the one reason why people tend to I think shy away from making long-term predictions about because there are other players if you see his contemporaries like Team and Medvedev who had success at Grand Slams and Medvedev especially you know cracked the top two and then number one he was matching up at least decently well or pretty well 
at the time at his peak against all of the best players in the world, especially that 20 match win streak he had, 12 of them against, you know, the top 10 players. He just didn't face Federer uh, during that period, but, you know, most likely would have beaten him then, uh, considering how Federer was at the time. So, and how Medvedev was playing. So, yes, I think uh, that's the only big question Mark Sitsipas has because let's face it, you know, three of the players who could have taken him out, all of them lost before the quarterfinals. Not his fault, of course, you know, he beat who he faced. But I think that's why I just kind of hold off from making super long term predictions for Steph. I just, I still don't know if he's going to win a grandstand this year. Uh, he might. Um, I'm, not, I'm not absolutely sure that he will. But yeah, that's what I have to say about Steph and him with you. There are other players you probably should uh, be mentioning. Uh, maybe Jethro can think about a few players and we could talk about. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say I. I agree. I don't see Sitsipas winning a slam this year. There are still a lot of concerns for me about the backhand. Um, he can. He can. He had a pretty decent backhand there against Djokovic. You know, in terms of it down the line. Um, but the slice is just nowhere near good enough, I don't think, to win a to win a Grand Slam. He would really, really need a draw to open up somewhere and not to face someone who can expose expose his backhand. Um look like the Serbs great, the forehand's great, where the forehand didn't really show up well enough against Djokovic. Of course, we know how good Djokovic is acts, you know, turning your strength into a weakness, which is just one of the most amazing assets I think the player's ever had. But yeah, he didn't didn't bring his A game on the forehand all night against Djokovic, and that that hurt him a lot. But I think the forehand needs a sorry. I think the backhand needs a lot of work if the uh, you know if he's going to really going to contend for a Grand Slam. Um, but yeah, some other male players to mention. We see so Shreya quickly mentioned Runa. I personally was quite disappointed we didn't get Runa Djokovic. I thought that could have been a really really exciting match. Especially because, especially because Djokovic hadn't quite, you know, with the with the hamstring injury that was going on, and the, he, I know he absolutely obliterated Domino in the fourth round, so that kind of sent a bit of a warning sign to the rest of the tournament. But I think that could have been a really, really interesting match after what happened in Paris. We didn't get it, and of course, Djokovic got Rublev, who's unfortunately for Andre is a very easy matchup for Djokovic. Um, and yeah, there was a, there was never going to be one winner there. But yeah, I think I'd like to yeah quickly mention Sinner. Um, very unfortunate that he dropped points this year after making the quarterfinals last year and has to play the same opponent that he played in the quarterfinals last year. But a significant improvement result-wise, you know, he took it past to five sets. He completely changed his tactics in that match to give himself a really good chance of winning. And he looks great from the back of the court. You know, once he improves his serve and makes fewer errors, I think, you know, he will be making it past the quarterfinal stage of a Grand Slam. For me, it's only a matter of time with Sinner. And we've seen how how well he can play. Um, And I kind of, I just, I consider him a threat on all surfaces at at all Sam's to be honest. And he's got such an all-round game. And he's he's awesome from the back of the court. so although fourth round might not, you know, seem like a huge uh, a huge result for someone of his talent, you know, I think it was still pretty positive overall. And um, for me, one of the stories of the tournament was, uh, was Ben Shelton. Uh, you know, the, this American guy, you know, he leaves, leaves the US for the first time in his life, goes to Auckland, wins some matches there, turns up in Melbourne and <laughs> makes, the, makes the court finals. It's, um, it's amazing. And yeah, I mean the guy's so likable, you know, tennis-wise and personality-wise. He's got he's got a very kind of charming demeanor about him. He's always got a big smile on his face. He's loving every moment of being out there. And he's someone really exciting for me because I think he brings, you know, he's got this huge like lefty game, you know, big serve, big forehand. But he plays with a lot of variety. He can mix things up really well. He likes to come into the net. And yeah, I think I think he's someone to be very very excited about going forward I'm not sure what surface is going to be his best I think I'm not even sure he knows yet because he's got so little experience you know as a professional tennis player um, but the fact that he's going toe to toe with top tennis players in the world and 
making deep sand runs already after literally leaving college tennis, you know, a matter of months ago. It's uh, it's really, really exciting. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the tour. Um, and I think when you've got Runa Alcaraz Sinner, who play, they play a lot of, they've got quite big baseline games and you've got Runa and Alcaraz who are a bit more explosive than Sinner. It's quite nice to have someone kind of different coming in with a different style. He's around the same age. I think he's going to, it probably won't be too long before he's catching up to around their level. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, um, I joined the Ben Shelton high when he beat Asperud at Cincinnati and we thought, okay, this that's a notable result. A bit like when Lorenzo Massetti beat Stamper Brinker in Rome a couple of years back. That's when we first noticed him. Um, I think Shelton getting to his first quarterfinal, his second attempt, first starts like the US, um, is a big, big deal. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see how his career progresses. Um, quick shout out to, obviously, um, I think actually, to be honest, uh, a lot of the, the one of the stories of the tournament was how many Americans got through. I think, from what I can gather, a lot of the American coverage was disappointment that none of them were uh, Taylor Fritz or Francis Tiafo. But the amount, but like in the bottom half of the draw, like having eight Americans in uh, the last 32 and then um, going down to about sort of three or about four in the last 16. I mean, that's four or five in the last 16. I can't remember now, but. Uh, that was that, that's got to give American tennis some hope for the men's side. They've always going to have contenders on the women's, um, but they're going to a, a contender on the men's side will just help the sport be a little bit stronger over there. Um, players like JJ Wolf and Tommy Paul, who reached the semi-finals, um, showing their true potential. I know quite a few people have been big on Tommy Paul for a while, so it's nice to see him kind of come through on that. I do think it might be his only Grand Slam semi-final, but. Um, he, I think he's booked himself some permanent kind of top 20, top 30 credentials. Well, not permanent, but like for a while, he's going to be in that mix. Um, I think the only other story from the men's side that I just want to shout out would be uh, from the first week, Andy Murray, um, which I think would be remiss to miss. Um, I know he only made the third round, but how did he make the third round? He provided most of the entertainment that tournament. And Provided his recovery goes well, which it seems to be, I think he's prioritising just making sure he recovers rather than jumping straight back into play. Um, makes me, as a Brit and as an Andy Murray fan, primarily, because um, I would say he's probably my favourite ATP player um, now Federer has retired. Um, seeing how sort of the twilight of his career progressed and how his year could go, particularly on grass, um, excites me that he can. Uh, continue to make headlines again. And even if he never wins another title, he's with confidence that he's going to be providing us with entertainment for uh, a while to come. Yeah, the um, the Andy Murray run was just absolutely spectacular. <clears throat> and I completely agree. I do think he provided the most entertainment in that first weekend. To me, probably in the entire tournament on the men's side. Um I think obviously it's it sounds weird to not expect something amazing from Andy Murray, uh, even in you know in the state that he's in these days, you know after all these surgeries on his hips. But it's um, it was just incredible and so like so exciting, you know. I mean, it was it was almost ridiculous, you know. I was, was you know five p.m. UK time, still watching an Andy Murray match, you know, in the Australian Open. It was utterly bizarre. And I think it wasn't just the fact that he fought so hard, but the fact that he played so well. Um, even against Bautista Agu, I thought he played fantastically. Um, just ran out of, you know, ran out of steam eventually. He had to. And yeah, it was it was so exciting. Obviously, Djokovic, you know, is still an ever-present top member of the Big Four. But to see, especially with Rafa going out and the way he did, I thought the way that Murray played and the way Murray inspired so many people again, like he always has in his career, was uh, was really, really, really cool. And, you know, I mean, there's something, and he took out Berrettini first round, you know, Berrettini came in after playing excellently in the, uh, in the United Cup. I had Berrettini nailed on for the quarters or the semifinals. And, 
yeah, Berrettini missed a simple backhand on match point, and Murray just did not let him. <laughs> he made him regret it. No, it was a, uh, it was it was just clinical. Um, and there, yeah, the match in Kopenakis was. Well, I looking back, probably for me, match the tournament on the men's side. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, that was a real battle. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, that match. Uh, yeah, probably was much of the tournament. Five sets, long match, really competitive, highly emotional stakes for both players. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Men's match of the tournament. Um, women's match was the final, uh, for sure. Best one on the women's side. Um, so, yeah, um, I think... I think yeah, I'm pretty grateful I got to see make the most of uh, Andy Murray this event uh, and make the most of the test event. Um, I think that's everything that we need to cover from this Australian Open of 2023. So I'm really excited by what will happen in the tennis season in um, for the rest of the year, and uh, I hope everyone listening are too. Um, you can follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Um, follow us, um, follow the Popcorn Tennis account on Twitter for not just our podcast, but also um, our um, any articles that are published on the Popcorn Tennis website. And if you want to go and relive the Australian Open, uh, Owen Lewis has been posting from Australia. He he went he was over there covering it. Um, and uh, definitely got some excellent match reports if you just want to relive what's been, on the whole, a good tournament. Um, so, yeah, come follow us on the Twitter at Popcorn Tennis One. Um, and uh, I hope that you um, all enjoy. come along for us for the ride for the 2023 season. Thanks, Jethro. Thanks, Shirohei. And uh, we will see you soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. Yep, see you soon.